Welcome to Spot on Safety, the program designed for safety professionals. Spot on Safety is brought to you by iWorkWise, providing safety knowledge when you need it. For more information about iWorkWise, visit us at iWorkWise.com. It's time for Spot on Safety, Episode 31, Firewatch, with your host, Amy Does and Dan Smiley. Good morning, Amy. Hi, Dan. So this is a great topic. I, this is one of the classes I really like teaching, because who doesn't like to build a fire and put it out, or just build the fire? Right. Because I'm a pyromaniac, like all guys are. <laughs> like most people. Like most people? Yeah, I think like most people. I don't know. When I was a kid, I burned a lot of stuff. I had a lot of campfires in the woods. Yeah? Yeah. And I wasn't camping. We were just going out there building, to have a fire. Building fires? Yeah. I used to take my old model airplanes that I was tired of, and I'd run a fishing line out the upstairs bedroom window, and I'd put a little gasoline on them. I'd light them, and I'd have to fly them on a little hook into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> uh, small things. Yeah. Good entertainment. Yeah, it was great. All right, well, so we're talking about really about stopping fires from uh, starting or stopping them from progressing if they have stopped. We're talking about the duties of a, a fire watch. This is really important. There have been a lot of, of uh, industry fires and vessel fires that were completely preventable if someone had been there on the scene with training and equipment to put the fire out in its incipient stage. Right. So that hasn't gone unnoticed, and uh, there are fire watch requirements in the OSHA rules for workplaces that uh, employers have to follow. And so there are two sets of rules that we're going to talk about today. There are rules for general industry, and then there are maritime rules. And they're, they're pretty similar, but there are some differences. Yeah, there, there really are. I mean, it's similar in the way that you're required to have a fire watch in certain circumstances. So um, the, the general industry rules stipulate when you need one, and it's generally if you have something that can burn within 35 feet. So um, basically then you need to have a fire watch. Where they really differ are the requirements for fire watches. So in the latest revision on the maritime side, the subpart P, which is the section that talks about fire prote protection and fire watches, um, OSHA went into really great detail for maritime industries like shipyards and vessels on what exactly they need to do. On the general industry side, that hasn't really been updated in some time, and it's really general. It just kind of says you need to have a fire watch in these, in these circumstances, and the fire watch uh, needs to know how to sound the alarm if the fire starts. And they pretty much need to know how to use an extinguisher because they're assigned an extinguisher. And they need to know how to, how to put the fire out um, if they have one. So a fire watch is kind of the extinguisher handler. So you're watching for fire and sounding an alarm. You let the welder know, obviously, if he catches himself on fire. And then you have extinguishing uh, capabilities and you can put out those small what they call incipient stage fires um, before they become big so on the general industry side I mean you don't even have to document the training necessarily you have to do enough training so the person knows what they're supposed to do and how to operate the extinguisher but it's not even necessarily documented and there's no requirement for repeating it so you just take it one time not even take it 
I say, yeah. hey, you're going to be the fire watch. Here's your fire extinguisher. Here's how the fire extinguisher works. Mm-hmm. Watch what this guy's doing. If there's a fire, put it out. I've done, I just did 30 seconds worth of training. Is that enough? Yeah, and, but you forgot where the alarm is, right? It's oh, kind of yeah. sounding an alarm kind of deal. So, like, it, you know, if it got big, what do you do to tell everybody to get, get out? So, yeah, it's, it's super basic, kind of performance-based, you know. And if I was an ocean inspector, came in and did an inspection, I'd first look whether you had a fire watch or not. And then I'd ask the fire watch if they knew how to use the extinguisher and maybe have them tell me how. They knew how to, use, you know, sound the alarm. Basically, they knew they needed to be there during the hot work. And, and also, um, generally, people stay 30 minutes after for most hot work. So in case there are smoldering fires, they kind of get started by that, and you can put them out. So that's that's it. Pretty basic. And, uh, yeah, you did about 30 seconds of training. Um, there, there's a little bit of a dovetail in the OSHA's rules for four fire extinguishers. You, have, you know, you have these things hanging all over in your workplace. But you don't necessarily have to show our employees how to use them because we're not really requiring individuals to be competent in using them. I mean, it's just kind of there. So if we have in our safety plan required individuals to use them, then all of a sudden it some rules kick in for OSHA where we are required then to train them actually how to use them, including deploying the extinguisher. So Firewatch definitely fits that category. They're assigned to use an extinguisher. So your Firewatch training, in addition to what you said, should include actually deploying an actual extinguisher so that you know, there's no better way to know how than to do it. And you get these things recharged periodically anyway. And it doesn't cost that much to get them recharged. They should actually have to pull the pin and, you know, squeeze the trigger, so to speak. Yeah, well, as we've seen over and over again, people people do what they train to do. They don't do what you show them how to do. They don't do what you tell them to do. They don't do what they've seen on the video they do what they've actually laid their hands on and done. And we see on the fire side all the time, a fire starts in an apartment building, starts in a hotel. People don't grab the fire extinguishers. They have no training in it. They'll tell you, oh, I would use a fire extinguisher, but they don't. You know, one of my favorite videos is this old, I don't know if it's 70s or 80s video from NFPA called Fight or Flight. Have you seen that one, Dan? I don't believe I have. All right. So we have that in our library, and it's, it's, it's called Fight or Flight. And everybody's got big hair and bad clothes, and like I did when I was that age. And uh, they just simply give them an extinguisher and say, and they, have, they light a fire. And they say, go ahead. And you watch these people, like, flip this thing upside down and struggle with it. And they have no idea about pulling the pin. And fire's raging. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're just totally inept with it. And it's like, uh, I think you have a saying that you kind of do all the time. There is no common sense. It's all about training. There is no common sense. Right. This this is my word for everyone out there. (laughs) Take a minute. There's no such thing as common sense. Stop saying it. (laughs) It's based on experience, right? It's based on experience. what, What people think of as common sense is information that they learned so far back in their life that they can't, they don't remember when they learned it. Uh-huh. At some point, you learned that the the stove was hot. Your mom told you, hey, don't touch the stove. The stove's hot. You're like, oh, yeah, the stove's hot. And then you reached up and you touched that stove. You go, oh, the stove's hot. Yeah. 
And then you knew, right? <laughs> right. And ever since then, you know, like, hey, it's common sense. The stove is hot. But it wasn't common to you at some point. You were one or you were two or at some point. And that's true for every single thing humans do. Humans are not born able to, you know, build a hive or something. You know, we, right. we have to learn things. And we see in the history of, of uh, toxic exposures where you might think that, that uh, inhaling a toxic gas now would it'd be common sense that we wouldn't want to do that. But it hasn't been that long. No, it sure hasn't. Decades even. Maybe even I mean, there's places in the world where people are dying from toxic exposure all the time. And, and, and you know, these are things you can't see, that you can't smell, that you don't understand. The concept of common sense doesn't play a role at all. No. And it applies to fire extinguishers, too. There's no expectation that someone should know how to use a fire extinguisher. Yeah, and it might be a good experience. You could even experiment with it in your workplace, right? I yeah. mean, just basically the first part of your training is, you know, show me, tell me how you're going to do this, show me how to do this, and see where they're at to start with. Um, and But that's basically what this fight or flight video does, is it's done that for us. We don't have to put our people through it. And it shows that there is no common sense on fire extinguishers, and you have to show people how to do it. You can't just say, here, bye, you're the fire watch, right? So even in general industry, we've got some requirements to do a little bit of briefing and training, and that's proper. So um, now if we talk about maritime, uh, it's really laid out, and there are a whole heck of a lot of requirements, and boy, are they specific. It's really amazing. And, and I guess maybe part of that is a history of fires on vessels. Um, I know you and I were talking about it earlier a little bit, but here around Seattle, there's, there's been a, a number of big fires. Uh, we have a lot of vessels in the area, and uh, it hasn't been pretty. No, there have been some really famous shipboard fires. You know, some fires that are used as examples of, of stability issues, but you know, the Normandy uh, burned in New York in the 1930s, I think it was, and the New York Fire Department put so much water in her trying to put the fire out that she rolled over on her side and was totaled. The Vancouver British Columbia Fire Department did the same thing just a couple of years ago. It was a 160-foot fishing vessel caught fire at the dock, and they put the fire out by sinking her. Yeah. They just pumped so much water That's one on way to do it. that she, all you could see was her masts. Right. Yeah, so there are some definite specialties with fighting onboard ship fires and some some downsides of using water, which everybody does, right? So there's a whole lot of thinking that has to go involved in that. We've had some really big fires around Seattle, too. Yeah. And a lot of them are sneaky. I mean, they're really sneaky. Some spark pops under a wall. That was, that was one I've heard of in the last couple of years. You know, they have a wall. They didn't even know there was a gap under it. It just looked like a regular bulkhead. And it looked like it went tight to the deck, but they figured out there was a little gap under it when they had a fire out in the hallway. So um, the shipboard ones are pretty tricky. And and really, a lot of places could be even in general industry. Got to really check out the hot work area. Yeah, well, that's why fire watch is so important, because the, the whole idea is that we catch these fires in the incipient stage and we put them out when they're small and manageable before we have to apply large amounts of water. If these situations that caught these ships on fire, fires like the Normandy, uh, fires like some of the ferry fires that, that have been documented, 
had been caught in the incipient stages, those vessels would have been saved. Yeah, there's an interesting thing I always bring it up in training when I do it to fire watches because when you're a fire watch, I mean, you're not taking your chief engineer generally or your highest paid engineering professional on your vessel to fight to watch for fires. You're just sitting there, right? You're sitting there to watch for fires, and it's a it could be kind of boring. You might even have a hard time staying awake. Um, you're just hanging out. Hopefully, if everything goes well. Um, you might have a tiny little fire to put out once in a while, which adds a little excitement. But, you know, you, you take these people who might be temporary labor employees or certainly the um, probably the lowest paid people, let's, let's just say that. And, and they're really kind of the unsung heroes, right? If they do their job well, nothing happens. So if you train them well and you have them equipped properly, they're constantly preventing a giant disaster, and um, even though they're kind of starter-level employees and everything, doing good training uh, for them in Firewatch, if that's what it is that they're going to do, um, just makes complete sense. Because you could lose your vessel due to them not doing their job properly. So this training is, is really important. And I tell these guys who are Firewatches, hey, it looks unimportant. It looks like you're just hanging out. You know, you might want to, you're a hard worker, you might want to, like, go around and pick stuff up and, you know, arrange cords or whatever and get distracted from this duty of fire watch. But your primary duty is fire watch. You're not supposed to have other responsibilities that take your your um, attention away from that. So, and that's really important. So, and it's important to manage your boredom like that. And, you know, they don't feel that important, but they could save the whole ship. Yeah, and save lives. And generally, when these fires happen, we, I've been talking about l- losing vessels, but but people die. Yeah, people get horribly injured, horribly burned, and you could be saving lives. Right. So making the area as fire safe as possible, right, I'm, is is kind of the first step. Like the less things that you have that can burn around your shower of ignition sources or sparks, you're jetting out into all these you know, the surrounding area, the better. So one key part, it, it's not a solution just to say, oh, you know, we're, we have all these oil-soaked rags and open paint containers, and I've seen hot work actually with an open gas can but on the my, deck of a boat. I've got my fire extinguisher, though. And oh. there's sparks flying on top of a one-gallon open gas can. It was just shocking, right? But they had a fire watch. It's like, okay. Now, let's talk about what a fire watch doesn't do, right? Or I guess what they should do is make sure the area is is, uh, clear of combustibles and flammables, certainly flammables, as possible. But so having a fire watch is not a substitute for having a brain, right? We want to keep fuels away from sparks and ignition sources and heat. So when we're doing hot work and we're going to um, get started, we have got to take a few minutes to tidy the area and think about what's in that area that can burn and get it the heck out of there. So the only stuff that should be in the area is stuff that cannot be moved. And then if you can't move it, what else can you do? Can you shield it? Can you put fire blankets on it? You know, what can you do to minimize that chance of those two things getting together, right? The fuel and the ignition source. So that has to be done first, and there's no substitute for brains in this category. Um, and a fire watch is just simply a Band-Aid if you really mess that up. So that, that's kind of what they, I guess, what they shouldn't have to do. 
it shouldn't be um, really epic and you're putting them through a challenging, you know, scenario where they can have explosions because you didn't even look around. So anyway, something to be said. I just want to get that out there. Right. Yeah. So general industry's rules are, are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty small, pretty general. Can you take us through the marine firefighting requirement or marine firewatch requirements? Yeah. So let's talk about what you have to train them in. Um, and the first thing on the maritime side, and you can learn a lot in general industry and do it the same way. You'd actually have some pretty skookum firewatches if you did. They have a good list of things. So you want to teach them about fire behavior, including the different classes of fire and extinguishing agents. So basically, you know, the fire triangle, uh, what extinguisher or extinguishing agent to use on, on what and what not to use, um, difference between an incipient fire and a, and a big fire, um, and, you know, basically what methods you have available to extinguish fires at your facility. So the big thing is just that, some background on fire. That's kind of the first thing. Um, how to detect fires in hot work areas, to look for charring or smoldering, um, you know, whatever you can think of that fits in that category that's, that's uh, appropriate for your work site. Um, how to activate and operate the fire protection systems they'll use. This includes extinguishing a live fire. So it's actually written into the regulations. It says you, the fire watch as part of the training shall extinguish a live fire Unless the location, you, unless you are not in a location where you can do that. So it, that's a little gray, right? Like you can decide when you're going to have the training and you could say, well, I'm going to have the training the day I'm at the fuel dock. Oh, I can't have a fire. And then your training would probably be legal, right? Even though you didn't put out a live fire because you couldn't have it. So it's, that's kind of weird. But obviously, if we want to have great training, we try to schedule it at a time where we could have a live fire and then a place we could have a live fire because there's some... Uh, there's some skills to be learned from actually doing it. Yeah, our our fire watch training that's supplied by our workwise includes putting out a live fire, and I have yet to find a situation where, with a little planning for the class, you couldn't have a live fire as part of the training. Yeah, I, I think it it can be done. Um, health effects that may be caused by exposure to fire that's pretty basic, but it's on the list of things you, you need to cover. Is um, you know, what fire does to you, I guess, um, and smoke and and uh, the hazards associated with, with being a fire watch. Right, and the smoke, you know, it depends on what's burning. Yeah. You know, if you're burning wood, you have just basic, you know, hydrocarbon residues and carbon monoxide and other things. But if you burn plastics, I mean, you could have phosgene, you can have all kinds of things as the residual of that combustion. Oh, it can go bad fast, right? It can go bad really fast. It can, yeah. be, it can be one whiff and you're on the deck if yeah. you're burning the wrong thing. If you're burning the wrong thing. And also, you know, we have videos of fires in, in Seattle, and they go from nothing to completely smoking out the compartments in a heartbeat. It's amazing. So, um, you know, knowing where the exit is is obviously it, it's on the list of topics. Right. And most people don't they die in fires, don't die from being burned. They, they die from suffocation. Yeah. And often not from a lack of oxygen, but being overwhelmed by carbon monoxide. And so that might be something you want to cover in your training, right? That's informational, and we're, we're getting there are people in our class. We're not going to assume they know everything we know. Because there's no such thing as common sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think we, co- we covered that. So it's, it's true. So we need to tell them about the hazards of exposure to fire um, and not 
assume that they know everything already. So uh, the hazards of the fire watch duties, there, there's actually fire, there's hazards other than the fire itself, right? So if you're doing welding and cutting, you could have uh, radiation, right? Light radiation. So you could get skin burns from that or, um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of the word, but what is it? Flash burn, I guess, in your eyes, right? Right. So that's pretty uncomfortable. Um, the fume coming off, the uh, hot work, it could be zinc in there or chromium in there or just welding fume isn't isn't a great thing to be breathing anyway. Um, so there are, there are hazards. If you had splatter or sparks on your clothing and you're wearing poly, you know, what does plastic do when it gets hit with fire? It melts and having that melt to your skin. So we might want to cover what clothing to wear, you know, cotton or wool or leather. Um, so th there are hazards. Uh, even if you don't have a gigantic fire where you're running, um, there are a lot of hazards associated with it. Um, often when there's welding and cutting, there could be grinding. So there could be flying particles too, right? So maybe safety glasses might be a part of the necessary equipment. So, um, Another thing we would cover are the characteristics of the area itself. So where you're doing hot work and what to watch for um, and, you know, kind of how to check out that area to kind of maybe to even go over some of that stuff I talked about earlier where you're making sure there aren't flammables and combustibles in the area. You're looking for cracks under walls where, where something could spread. If the hot work is close to a bulkhead, can the heat radiate, you know, through into the next compartment? Yeah, what's I mean, in the next compartment? Yeah. Right. You know, is the next compartment a living quarter? Is the next compartment a fuel tank? And it's easy to think about walls, but there's six sides to a fire. So we got the overhead bulkhead and the deck too. So what's below us and what's above us? So we kind of want to cover that during our training. Um, location and use of barriers. Like, what do you think of when, you, when if we talk about barriers for fire watch? Well, I think of things like uh, fire blankets. I think of... Uh, Doors that could be closed, windows, I think of uh, 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 portable machinery. Yeah, sheet metal, sheet right? Metal. Fire curtains, those little dividers they make sometimes that are tinted. They have it shop class, right? I mean, those are probably underutilized. And even in maritime where we're pretty good at this stuff, I think it it's, uh, could do a lot more shielding. And again, the name of this game is keeping the fuels away from the ignition sources. So the use of the barriers, if you expect them to use them, where, to, where they get those from, what they should use where, you know, how they should deploy those, that would be something you'd cover in your training. Um, selection and use of fire extinguishers and hoses. What exactly is it you want them to use? And we all know that you can't use a fire extinguisher that's mounted somewhere on the vessel. So fire watch extinguishers need to be dedicated for fire watch not pulled off the walls because if that fire extinguisher isn't enough, you want to go to the ones that are still posted where they're supposed to be or mounted where they're supposed to be so that you have some secondary uh, choices. So, um, you know, how do they decide if they're going to use a hose or an extinguisher? Who picks the extinguishing agent or the extinguishers they're going to use for a certain hot work area? So that would be something you'd cover under training too. Another important one is communication. How are they going to communicate um, with others? Let's say they have a fire and they want to sound the alarm. How do they do that? So how have you seen it done when you do onboard training? Well, I've seen them do it with uh, radio. A lot of the 
mm -hmm. maintenance personnel or deck personnel are carrying handheld radios. Um, it can be by activating the fire alarm mm -hmm. on, a, on a given deck. It can be uh, passed verbally. Those are generally the way I, I see it done. Okay. So I think that, that uh, the, all those would work. If I was inspecting a boat and saw fire watches, I'd ask them where the nearest alarm activation station is. If, if they didn't have radios, right, even if they did, and they should know, I would think. Yeah, they should know. Yeah. So how do we, uh, how to um, evacuate from the area, something you cover? So how do they get out of that 10 decks down and three decks over if they need to? So maybe just orientation of the boat, showing them the fire safety plans that are mounted on board, the one at the gangway, kind of encouraging them to get familiar with the space they're working and the exit routes before work starts. I mean, that should be part of their, their start in a certain hot work area, don't you think? Yeah, and it's easy when things go wrong to, to and a little bit of panic starts to rise to not follow that route. You really need to walk that route once before you start the heart work before yeah. you start your your shift to make sure you have a, a good idea of how to get out right so once again they're not brain dead right they're they're and they're important they need to walk around and get a feel for that for the area right and and the odds are that if you're trying to escape that means that the the fire has gotten beyond what you can control with a fire extinguisher there may be very low or no visibility left so you may be trying to exit the space by remembering what the space looks like, and it can be really difficult. You know, one of the, the drills that I used to conduct when I was still a chief mate in sailing was an egress drill for crew members from their staterooms, and we would take goggles and cover them in duct tape so that you couldn't see, and then have them start from their bunk with a closed door to the stateroom and get outside to the muster area, and we would have a number of people guarding ladderways and things so people couldn't fall down them but some people were able to get right out some people I, I have a video of a guy who spent five minutes trying to climb into a linen locker oh yeah because he you know he found a door and this door obviously should lead somewhere right but it just led to shelving yeah so you know people have to practice those things think about it you know it's, those are good ideas for for putting some interest in training too right if you're if you're doing on-site uh training in a facility is kind of okay we trained you two weeks ago on how to be a fire watch we told you to get acquainted with your area and now we're going to make it a little bit harder and flip the lights out or whatever and make sure they don't get injured right they're not going to fall down a hatch or something but you know show me your stuff show yeah. me how you got familiar and then all of a sudden maybe they're doing it a little bit better next time so that, that might be a good way to circle around huh yeah it's really eye-opening people think oh yeah i know exactly I've, I've been on this boat for years i know exactly where i'm going yeah take their eyesight away from them and it's not quite as easy so another key duty for a fire watch is to alert others when uh when to evacuate so they're supposed to be making the call on that here again we have a new or a temporary employee is kind of making the call and telling other people when to leave and they here's here osha gives a four-part uh criteria basically when you should leave so if the fire watch perceives a dangerous condition so something they're uncomfortable about um, they should let people know to evacuate the space if the fire watch perceives that the person doing the hot work is in danger 
right? Then they need to sound an alarm or let, let people know. Um, if someone else orders an evacuation, then they're to support that. And if an alarm or other evacuation signal is activated. So, again, if you're going to sound an alarm, does everyone on board know what that means? They know where to go. So often, you know, when you're out at sea, you know, when you go to your muster station, everybody's trained in that pretty regularly. You're doing a lot of drills. But when you're at shore, where do people go? So that would be something that, that would get covered in training and uh, Firewatch would be know and be confident in before they started. Yeah, and should be covered by a supervisor in a, in a pre-job briefing. You know, if the muster point is going to be different based on where the work is being done, that should all be covered in advance. Yeah, you bet. So um, the other thing that's pretty significant that's on the list is the hazards of fixed systems. You know, on vessels, there can be halon systems, uh, different chemical now, now that they're getting away from halon, and you have CO2 as well, um, but there are some other chemicals that are in fixed systems. So what are those fixed systems on board that vessel or in the work area that the person is working and what are the hazards of those systems? I mean, it's, the hazards are a little different from a halon system to a CO2 system, right? So, I mean, if if we're training people in the hazards of a CO2 system, what would you tell them? I would tell them that CO2 is a common asphyxiant, that it's a heavier-than-air gas, that it's going to displace the oxygen in the space that you're going to go in. If that system gets tripped, that there is a short delay between the time the system is tripped and the time the gas is emitted during that delay an audible alarm is going to sound and along with a visual alarm and generally depending on who set the system up you've got between 30 seconds and a minute to escape so if that alarm goes off or you see that that uh, that uh, strobe light going it's time to go yeah um, and what what strobe lights are that is different than the general alarm right yep. and and you don't normally hear fixed system alarms on a boat because we we would have to set off the system in order to get that but maybe we could at least point out where that strobe is for that system, where, the, where they're going to hear an alarm from, and the fact that they don't have time to think about it. Yeah. With CO2, it's generally a siren. Mm -hmm. The siren is powered by the initial release of pressure from the system. And you've got a little bit of time, not much time, but a little bit of time between the time that that first uh, pressure activates that siren and the time the gas is actually being emitted from the horn. You bet. So the valve opens, it goes through the siren, and then there's that time delay pressure vessel, right, or a bottle there that it has to build up to a certain amount before that opens. And so that's what's giving us our time delay, right? Yep. So it's the gas, the gas has already been released, and yeah. this train has left the station. When you hear that siren, there's no stopping it. It's coming. It's coming your way. It's coming. So, you know, keeping the exits unblocked and clear in a space like that, if you're doing work, um, would be important. And, uh, you know, clearly knowing how that system works and, and everything. So if they're in a space, they just don't just stand there because they don't know better, right? Yeah. And as a rule of thumb, you know, fire requires roughly the same amount of oxygen to live as humans do. And the point of these fixed systems is to put the fire out. So if they work properly and they can put the fire out, they can put your lights out too. Yeah. Yeah. CO2 systems have, have uh, killed many people. Many people. So... Um, 
that's kind of the rundown on on the whole thing. Um, you know, it, it, those are the topics that are required for Firewatch. That's so not clearly a full Firewatch training. Like this podcast was not qualify you. We didn't actually go through the topics. We're just talking about what we talk about. But if you need a little help, um, you know, getting your Firewatches trained. Um, you can go through that, and if you know the basics of fire and extinguishers, you know, create a course of your own. Uh, we we teach on-site courses for, for Firewatch. We also have online courses. So uh, so we can go on-site with an instructor-led. I think they're, what are they, about three hours, Dan? Yeah, it, the, uh, the general industry training is uh, slated at two hours, and then it depends on how many people are in the class because unlike the requirements, the simple requirements of general industry, our classes still have everyone put out a live fire. Right. I mean, it's really important. It's important enough that OSHA made the regulations for maritime to put out a live fire that w we just teach it to that standard anyway. Right. So if you've got, you know, four people, the class might be two hours. If you've got 20 people, it might take us four hours to do right. the class. Yeah. So we've kind of created our own standard too. Just general industry can get away with very little, but we, um, just being around boats and boat fires you, and, and doing training on vessels. It's just, uh, you're not going to, you're going to give people much better training if you cover some of these basics thoroughly. Yeah. I mean, a fire watch, whether it's maritime or general industry, they need to understand some basics about fire. They should understand the fire triangle. And we, we teach all of that, even to general industry. Right. So, um, so our online classes, now it's, it's always been a dilemma for me because you do some online stuff, and there's some advantages for doing online. So you get some consistent message, and, you know, uh, it's easier to schedule. If you have just one person, you can get them through the training without having to wait um, to schedule it. And one-on-one -on -one training isn't very cost-effective either. So there's some real advantages to the online, but there's also some on-site things that need to happen. And so what we've kind of come up with for our online stuff is it's a joint certificate. So when people take, we have two classes online, um, Firewatch Essentials and Firewatch Advanced. So the Essentials one is basically what a Firewatch needs to know. We cover all the, all the standard material, and then there's a list that prints on their certificate when they finish the test questions and they finish the class. And the list is the things that the employer needs to do. So we sign off on the top part. They've covered the basics. And then there's a second part that says, do you know where your alarms are? for example, at that facility? How do you sound the alarm at your facility? We kind of can't cover that in an online class. And so what we do is we, this is a joint agreement with an employer, basically, where we're doing a good job on the curriculum, um, but there's still some on-site things that need to happen. So I think we found a good balance with that. So our essentials class is, um, you know, the basics, what a fire watch would need, and then we have this advanced class. And the advanced class, I think, is more appropriate for supervisors um, and key staff, uh, and it has a lot more emphasis on enclosed spaces and confined spaces and some different hazards with that so that that level of employee has a little bit more going on and more awareness about dangers of hot work um, by having that advanced module. And that also is a joint certificate. You know, somebody, there it does need to be a small amount of follow-up, but you sure save a lot of time by kind of letting us take you through the the um, the stuff that we can. And I've been amazed at how popular the online class has been. I mean, we've even had a cadre of international students take this class 
even though it was set up for Washington regulation or for United States regulations, uh, we've had it taken in England, among other places, and gotten some really great feedback. Yeah, I think the fire behaves the same way, right? And there's a lot of extinguishing agents kind of work the same way. It doesn't matter where you are. And the principles um, the principles that are assembled into these curriculums are what's gathered from experiences. And the experiences are pretty similar around the world um, as well. So, so anyway, that's kind of a good way to, uh, I think, get good training. And then here around Seattle, obviously, we do some instructor-led stuff too, like where we do the whole thing. So, and there's probably there's, there's probably lots of other training in different areas of the country, um, but just a, just some background on that and kind of why we have it set up the way we do. And there's one other key difference I think we should mention between uh, general industry requirements and maritime requirements, and that is that there is a refresher requirement on the maritime side that doesn't exist on the general industry side. Yeah, that's totally true. So on the general industry side, you just do the training once. You're a trained fire watch or you're not a trained fire watch, basically. But on the maritime side, you're required to do the training annually. So it's not a one time and you're done, like general industry. Um, the training has to be done annually. And it's not a refresher training. It's not like that I come back the next year and I give you a 10-minute refresher on this is a fire extinguisher. You're required to take the fire watch training again annually right yeah yeah it is it, they want they want you to be fully refreshed on everything and acquainted and it's a good you know doing doing a full view like that sometimes if you're a new employee and you're you're really getting the fire hose of information when you first started a job you get a lot more out of it you know down the road um and especially a lot of times with fire watch um that we see in maritime is you it's can be periodic, especially on vessels. The vessel goes out and fishes for nine months, and they haven't thought about being a fire watch for a long time. And then they're back in shipyard, and uh, they need to perform as a fire watch, and, and uh, refresher isn't a bad idea. Oh, it's, a, it's a great idea. And a lot of industries where we do training, uh, like some of the oil refineries we work with, they require all of their operators to do annual fire extinguisher training, not just for fire watch, but, you know, they're boiling petroleum products. They, they burn things. Sure. So everyone everyone has to put out a, a live oil fire every year. Yeah, good experience, and it, it stops you from, uh, you said earlier, you know, you, you do things the way you train to do them. So it keeps that fresher and stops you from being a deer in the headlights because it's been 10 years or whatever since you've done anything. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the human brain looks for examples of how I managed this in the past. It's like looking through a little Rolodex. Here, I'm faced with a situation. Where is a memory that is similar that I can apply? And if you don't find one, you stand still. That's that deer in the headlight thing. Mm -hmm. No no past experience, no past memory, no no training to fall back on. They, you just freeze. Yeah. And it's to no fault of your own. Right? It's normal human reaction it's normal, to stress. Yeah, it's normal human reaction. And the only way you overcome that kind of human reaction is by training. And that's why firefighters and police officers and the military, that's why they train over and over and over again. You know, firefighters who go out on calls every day, they still train on live fires on weekends. They still do rescue training. They, they do all of that all the time even though they're engaged in that actual work. 
And that's because they know that if they don't train, they're not going to react the right way when the time comes. You bet. You bet. Well, I hope that gives everybody an idea of the scope of what's required, uh, depending what industry they're in, and then some ideas, right, for um, getting this training accomplished, um, whether it's online or on site, or if you're putting your own, um, if you're putting your own program together, then definitely, and, and you're in maritime, definitely go back to uh, 1915 subpart P, and go through the entire subpart for all of the requirements, and and build build off of that. It's a it's pretty thorough and uh, can't go wrong that way. If you're in general industry, there's some rules that. Uh, that are in stone also in 1910 uh, part of OSHA. So make sure if you're, if you're putting that training together that you go back and, and reference the requirements. It's not just required. It's also good information. They, they built that based on bad things that happen to other people. And if you're in maritime, this training has to be conducted every year. So make sure that that, that is the case, that you're not falling into a trap of doing it once and then never doing it again. Yeah, you bet. Is there anything else with Firewatch, Dan, that we can think of to help anyone out, or is that good? I think that covers it. Thanks for your time, Amy. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Spot on Safety. If you would like to ask a question or leave a comment, you can email us. The address is spotonsafety.com at iWorkWise.com.